One, two. There it is. Cornerstone. What's good? Happy Mother's Day. We've been through that, but let me say it as well. Shout out to Mrs. Branch if she ends up checking this out via podcast or whatever we have here. Um, It's good to see so many people that I do know, and those of you I don't know, thank you for allowing me to um, just come before you today on behalf of the Lord Jesus and share his word. Like any restaurant that you go to regularly because you've grown accustomed to certain things that are on the menu, you hate when they say they don't have that. You know, you bring somebody like, hey, I want the special. Oh, that's, we don't have that today. Okay, well, then give me the, oh, we don't have that either. And before you know it, by the time they get to what they have and they try to convince you, no, but everything on the menu is good, you know, you're like, but I didn't come here for that. <laughs> and sometimes that's how people are when they go to church. Um, they're used to the special, like the meals they can depend on. And even though it's reported that everything that comes from the sacred desk here would be good, that's not always how it seems to be. So, Lord willing, you'll leave out here saying, well, you know, that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. Uh, So, Lord willing, Lord willing. Uh, I do want to just say this is my warm-up time. Um, I hope you can appreciate what you have going here. so there's the Christian, the, the, the individual Christian whose, whose greatest enemy death has been dealt with, um, whose Lord has redeemed you. So you have infinite value and significance. And for all of eternity, you will exist and you will be better off then than you are now, uh, ultimately. And then there's the church. And every church uh, is indwelt by the Spirit of God, um, Every local expression is a combination of believers and people who are not yet believers. Um, And so I speak to you as Christians. I speak to you as a church. I speak to you as people who just are in church. But then there's the church plant and their unique challenges that come with church plants. Uh, When I was younger, um, I didn't know anything about a church plant. Every church I went to had already been there. Uh, You weren't around for its inception. You weren't around for its the early development, and uh, I pray to you, I pray for you as a church plant, uh, that you'll realize that there are unique things that come with this day and age we live in, where churches are trying to set up shop and begin. Um, there's there's something about beginnings. <laughs> you ever see somebody grow dreads? Don't you hate those little balls that's on their head? And then one day you see them with these luscious locks, you're like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? I hate the, the getting started part of dreads. Uh, some people don't realize that it's, and sorry if you're getting started with your dreads today. I'm just saying, when your dreads are full, watch the change in response. Um, and, uh, but, uh, same thing with churches. Some people don't realize that challenges come with church plants. Uh, can't wait till we're a well-oiled machine as a body. So, um, just continue in the faith. I'm going to ask the Lord, uh, for his kindness and help. And then um, we'll go in. Father, uh, thank you uh, for this time that we're together. Thank you for Cornerstone. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for what what is happening here. Thank you that this will show up one day when we stand before you and give an account for our works. Thank you that we can hear well done. Uh, If we approach this moment rightly, we thank you that we will receive reward. And, Father, help us because we can approach this moment wrongly and it will burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. Um, So help us to make the most of this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so what I want you to do is turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Philippians, New Testament book. Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 4. I heard that you've recently had a sermon in Philippians, maybe chapter 3. I'm going to be in chapter 4, Philippians, Philippians, chapter 4. I want to read a few verses and then start to unpack. I'm going to read verses 10 to 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. 
Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, a.k.a. Christ, who strengthens me. Who strengthens me. I don't know about you, but the recent death of Prince triggers a reflection on several recent deaths from Michael Jackson to Whitney Houston to Bobby Christina to Amy Winehouse, Robin Williams, Don Cornelius. They all make you very sensitive to something that has been said, first of all, by our brother, the early bishop of North Africa, Augustine, who said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Augustine said, God, you made us for you. And our hearts stay restless till we find that rest in you. The Christian philosopher Pascal said something just like it. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man and only God can fill it. There was a God-shaped vacuum in every heart and only God can fill it. Basically what you see in these deaths is that even though on the outside people seem to have everything, something seems to be missing on the inside. And so it's at this moment that we realize that all of us are trying to fill in the gap. There's this gap in our hearts and we all are trying to fill it. And we may not even know that that's what we're doing, but we're all trying to fill in the gap. And how would we fill in the gap of what's missing on the inside In a world where there's all kinds of stuff going on on the outside, we would love to fill in the gap by filling in the blank. Some people want to fill in the blank with whatever, money, with relationships, with health. If you had a blank check, what would you fill it with so that you can fill in the gap? Well, there's a theology out here. Name it, claim it. Or a prosperity theology which says... Think about what you think you need. Think about what you want and then just name it and claim it and God will do it. One of the verses that people often go to to support things like this is this climax of our passage, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. People say, I can do all things, and usually this is a motto. You find it with athletes who are about to fight, athletes who are about to go on the court, athletes who are about to go on the field, and they say, we can win. No, you can't. Yes, we can. Because exam. do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Students, as they take their final exam, even though they didn't study, they say, I can still pass because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even in this home, the heavyweight champion of the world, Holyfield, when he fought Mike Tyson that first time, he came in with a robe embroidered on it was Philippians 4, 13. And you know what he said when he won. I knew I could win because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that may be an encouraging slogan. It may make good for a little pre-game ramp up. But that's not what Philippians 4.13 means. It does not mean that you have a blank check. Think about what you want to accomplish. Fill in the blank and that'll fill in the gaps. Philippians 4.13 speaks to something a little more sober. Yet equally as if not more valuable. Philippians 4.13 is not talking about achieving anything you want, but being able to endure even the things you don't want. And we are here today to say, 
God can enable us to endure all things through him who gives us strength. So let's look at the wonders of this text and see how we get that from this. Let's see how we get that from this. First of all, what I want to do is start by saying that we want to fill in the gaps with the gospel. We want to fill in the gaps with the gospel. In other words, this text is chapter 4, and at the beginning, it sets a trajectory toward this climatic, I can do all things, I can endure any situation, whatever life throws at me, I can make it, I don't have to give up, I don't have to pop more pills, I don't have to end my life, I don't have to go off, I don't have to snap, So I want to, but it starts with a certain priority, and it's the gospel, and so what I want to show you, if you don't get anything else today, I want you to see something that happens before we get to this text, and that is we fill in the gaps with a prioritization of the gospel. The Lord Jesus said, there's no one who has left anything for my sake and the gospel. You know, the gospel is a sake, that Jesus Christ, he has an agenda. It's one thing to go against a person, it's another thing to go against a person and their agenda. There are agendas today agendas whole i mean people have a vested interest in that person getting their way well the lord jesus says i'm a person and i have an agenda it's called the gospel if you're at this church you probably know it but i don't want to assume anything what god is doing on earth to get glory for himself so you will think god is all that so we will improve our understanding of god What he's done is he's agreed to fix brokenness. He's agreed to fill gaps. He's agreed to snatch us from the pit and put our feet on solid ground through sending his son to take our place, nailing him to a cross, burying him so you'll know he's really dead, and then raising him up so you'll know that there's nothing that he can't do. And he says, I'll get glory this way. It's that gospel that God says, prioritize things that draw attention to me and my determination to publicize that good news, a.k.a. that gospel. But I want to show you that in the text. So just first of all, Philippians chapter 1 really starts off by Paul's giving you four people who exemplify what it means to prioritize the gospel even over their own preferences even over their own circumstances so paul you can just write this down if you want or you can just get the recording one day and just visit it but i'm going to briefly run through them the first thing he does is talk about himself in Vance 12 he says what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel now what he's talking about is he's in prison right now for the gospel had he not brought up the gospel he would not be in prison he knew that yet he still brought up the gospel it wound him in prison he says i'm not mad about it you know why because though i'm in prison because of this gospel the gospel has been advanced and a person who prioritizes the gospel over their own circumstances says even if the gospel puts me in prison i'm still going to prioritize the gospel so Paul, 1 to 12, says, hey, it's okay. This has helped to advance the gospel. One eighteen, he says, there were some people who were preaching false gospel. I mean, it was right gospel, false motives. Now, some people, you preach no gospel with bad motives. And people will say, but that's all right. He's still preaching the gospel. No, no, no. You have to preach the right gospel. Even if your motives are bad, we would be happy if it was the right gospel. We're not happy if it's the wrong motives and wrong gospel. Some people are. But look what he says. What then? Verse 18. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. He says, I know he's, they only preach in the gospel just to make a dollar. They only preach in the gospel just to trouble me. But that's all right. At least it's the right gospel that they're preaching. 121, he says, after all, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What do you mean? 23 to 25. My heart is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. If I could rig my own circumstances, Paul saying, as a result of the kind of life I've been living, because for the gospel, Paul was often in trouble. He says, I would rather just beam me up to be with the Lord Jesus. 
He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. That is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary, what, for him? No. You off your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress, your joy. Here's a guy who says, for you to smile, I should stay here in the midst of not want to make you smile circumstances. Oh, I'm just telling you that we're on our way to you can do this through Christ who strengthens you. Paul says, hmm. Then in verse 1 to 27, he uses a Greek word that means, if nothing else, this, manan, only let your life be worthy of the gospel. He says you can be excellent at all kinds of things, manan, but only if you got to choose one. Let it be gospel centricity, gospel priority. So Paul says, Take me. He said, but don't take me. Take a more supreme example. In chapter 2 of Philippians, he says, look at the Lord Jesus. So in chapter 2, he starts to talk about the Lord Jesus being the supreme example of one who prioritizes this gospel over his own circumstances. So he says in 4, let each of one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 6 to 8. This is what Jesus would do. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. So what did he do? If he didn't come on earth and start walking around in his godness and cashing in on being God, I'm God. What's wrong with you? Do my bidding. Well, what did he do? Seven. He emptied himself. How? By taking the form of a servant. God is ruler. What are you doing serving when you're a ruler? Being born in the likeness of men. You're a God. Why are you walking around here like a man? Becoming obedient. What are you doing obeying with the law? To the point of death. You're the life. What are you doing dying? Even death on the cross. Paul is saying, let me tell you what he was doing. He was prioritizing the gospel even over himself. Oh, we're on our way somewhere. Just just showing you. He says, so think about Paul. Think about Jesus. He says, I know some other cats you might not know. Timothy. He said, Timothy in 2, 20 to 23. I have no one like Timothy. What do you mean, Paul? Who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Paul says, you got a lot of people out here that look out for themselves. He says, I can't even send them to you because when they see the kind of problems you will present, they'll calculate it. Think about how that's going to mess them up. They're going to lose sleep. It's going to make them uncomfortable and they won't want to serve you. He says, but you know, Timothy's proven worth. Timothy will serve you even at his own expense. There's another guy you probably never heard of. Epaphroditus. 2, 25 to 29. Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. Receive him in the Lord with all joy. Honor such men. Why? He nearly died for the work of Christ. Risking his life. To, what? Why? To complete what was lacking in your service to me. Oh, he says, four people who prioritize the gospel. Oh, wouldn't we like to create circumstances where we get the the, the, the meat of what's best. Yet that is not what necessarily God is doing. He's not rigging, letting us rig circumstances the way we like it. He says, if you want to fill in a blank check because you're trying to fill in those gaps in your heart of the desires and the, the things you think will make you happy or keep going, he says, fill it in with a gospel prioritization. Oh, only believers who are submitted to thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven can think like this. So if you have not met a Lord who's worthy, who has an agenda, you'd gladly swap your agenda for his agenda. He wants to let you know 
that he went on the cross so that people like you and I could have what we needed. Paul said, I stayed on earth when I could have beamed up because I wanted you to have joy in your progress in the faith. And he's shaping us to be just like that. So I'm just talking about filling in the gaps with the gospel. If we wind up in chapter four, what we're going to see is if Philippians 4.13 is not a blank check to just write any kind of prescription we want for our own happiness, our own needs. What is it about? It is about a gospel that's more exceedingly valuable. It's about a strength that is available. It is about a secret that is learnable. All in the midst of circumstances that are not controllable. Oh, it's beautiful the way this thing unravels. So now let's dive in. Dive in. First of all, let's start with the circumstances that are uncontrollable. The circumstances which are uncontrollable. You've heard it. Stuff happens. You probably heard it a little different, but... That's the PG version. Stuff happens. Life is a series of circumstances. Things happen. Things happen. Your circumstances come. They are certain. They are inevitable. They are unavoidable, but they are always impactful. Circumstances happen. We meet Paul right here rejoicing in the midst of a certain set of circumstances, ones that he can't control, but there's something he's going to be able to control greatly. Let's just look at them. Circumstances happen. Verse 10, I rejoice to the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Stop right there. Paul's circumstances, I told you, he's in prison. He has written a letter. He's seeking financial help. Obviously, it got caught in the mail. The the money hadn't come. So now that he's actually received it, he says, hey, I now have perked up. I rejoice greatly that now you have revived your concern for me. You know, circumstances happen. And good circumstances cause joy. And bad circumstances we, there's a dip in our joy. That's human. It's human for you to respond differently to a promotion and a pink slip. It's very human for you to get a clean bill of health and go out and go, woo, and come out and hear that you have cancer and come out with your head low like God. The question is, what do you do if you get either one of those diagnoses? Because Paul doesn't just say, I rejoice in the fact that you're concerned. He says, I rejoice in the Lord now that your concern has been revived for me. These are his circumstances. He uses an interesting word here. He says, he uses a word that's like the budding of flowers. He says, now that your concern has been revived, has budded, has bloomed. So he's saying not only my circumstances, but this season. It feels like a change in the season. He says, because you have, you had concern for me, but you couldn't do it. Oh, you know how it is. Some people, they want to do it, but they can't. Some people can do it, but they don't want to. We like it when those come together. I want to and I can. Tell me, so, oh, you got a 20? Oh, man, I left my wallet. <laughs> like, praise God that you wanted to. I like the guy who wanted to and has his wallet. <laughs> Showing you here. Paul says, I rejoice greatly now. So in other words, what I'm showing you here is circumstances you can't control, but your joy you can. Oh, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord. You know why? Because circumstances are fickle. Circumstances are haywire. But in the midst of that, there's one who is fixed. In the midst of an unfaithful world with unfaithful people, Jesus Christ says, I remain faithful. And so what Paul does is he says, I rejoice in the Lord. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a Bible reader, you will have to learn like us. There are words that we don't know, like most people don't even know what that means. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? In the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean to pray in the spirit? Pray in the spirit. What does it mean? Well, 
there's several things. If you know the original language, there's several things it could mean. But one of the things that we say, well, it could be rejoice in the fact that there is a Lord. That's what it means. It's one of the possibilities. Rejoice in the sphere of the Lord. Rejoice as a person who's in him. It could also mean rejoice because of him. When theologians get stumped on which one it is or if they're all equally possible, we say it's some measure of all of them. First of all, rejoice as one who's in the Lord. Rejoice because out of everything that's going topsy-turvy, you are in the ark of safety, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in a relationship with somebody who's in the circumstance and who's above the circumstance. You know, back in the days I used to work for a temp company. Manpower. Some of y'all laughing, you might know about manpower. I don't know if they're still alive and well, but when I was there, they sent me to work at the electric company, Pico. Pico was the energy company. But I used to think, hmm, I'm going to this nice building where Pico is. I go in with everybody else, sit down at the desk like everybody else, log in like to the break, everybody else, click clack on the keys like everybody else. Take a lunch break and go to the break room with everybody else. But when I got sick, I couldn't get paid like everybody else. I was a little frustrated about that. When it was time to, when it was time to take a holiday, I didn't get any holiday pay like everybody else. When I looked at the hourly wage, it wasn't like everybody else. In other words, I was at a building with Pico, but I wasn't in Pico. I was in manpower. <laughs> <laughs> I was salty about it because just because I was around Pico didn't mean I was in Pico. This is what we mean when we say you could be around church. You can be around Jesus. You can live on Jesus's earth, but only in Christ are the riches that he has stored up in Christ available to you. The Bible says that his goodness is for everyone. There is a grace that's just like Pico. Hey, come on in. Yeah. Look at these nice, comfortable chairs. <laughs> Look at these desks. Look at these phones. Some things were for all of us. But there were some things that I really needed that were not. He says, rejoice. Those of you who are in the Lord. Why? Because of that Lord. Why do you rejoice? Because of the Lord. Because in the midst of any circumstance, he's over the circumstance. He's the author of the circumstance, often, and he's in the circumstance. Let me just show you what I'm talking about. If you know the Lord Jesus, he's Lord. That's why we call him Lord Jesus. People want to Savior Jesus, but you know he's Lord and Savior Jesus, which is actually better than just being Savior Jesus. Because Lord means he runs everything. Oh, you don't just want a Savior Jesus. You want a Lord Jesus. Amen? The world doesn't want to Lord Jesus because the Lord sort of runs things and we want to run our own lives. But he so what Jesus does is he comes on the earth and he demonstrates that he's Lord. He shows you himself trumping situations. And this is what this is going to be good news for you, because if this Lord is to be working, working for you, then you can rejoice in the midst of a circumstance that seems to be working against you. So the Lord Jesus comes in. He says, look at the storms. The storms are all over the place. People are in the storms. Jesus actually said, let's go to the other side. So there's a story in the Bible. He says, hey, let's go to the other side. Puts them in the boat, says, y'all go ahead. I'm going to go up to the mountain and pray. I'll meet you on the other side. The Bible says that they set out, got into the middle. The wind started being turbulent, and they were, King James language, straining at the oars, which means they were doing a whole bunch of rowing and going nowhere. The Lord Jesus went on the mountain to pray. He was praying all the way to the fourth watch. So he was there to the wee hours of the morning, watching them. Text says he was watching them. Then in the wee hours, after they're tired, he walks on the water. Oh, hold on. You talk about the Lord, right? Letting you know that in the midst of a circumstance, I'm Lord. He watches you in a circumstance he sent you into. Walks on the water to show you that he's not governed by or foiled by or thwarted by the same thing that's thwarting you. The Bible says he was going to walk past them. What's up, fellas? What? They said it's a ghost. He says, peace be still. And it says the sea calmed and they were at their destination.
Jesus says, I send you into the storm, but I'm over the storm. So you don't have to fear in the storm. He says, I'm over it. I'm over it. The same God that gives great revelations, the Bible says. Paul says, you know, God blew my mind with a whole bunch of stuff. I can't even tell y'all because the stuff is too, what we would say, dope. He gave me some stuff that's so dope, I can't even talk about it. And then that Bible says he authored thorns in the flesh so he wouldn't get puffed up about it. So in the Bible, the Bible says, God will do something good for you, but don't get... When you think this is a proof that you're something, he'll do something in your life to let you know, but don't get cocky. (laughs) Same God. He's the author of the circumstances, both the highs and the lows. The Bible says that Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted In other words, he's the author of your highs. He's the author of your lows. And he's in it and over it. Story in the Old Testament about three men being thrown in a fire. And when the fire didn't burn them up, they said, take them out. Wait a minute, there's four in there. And the fourth looks like, and guess who it was? This same Lord who walks on water in the midst of a storm is the same one who gets thrown in fires in the midst of a fire. What I'm telling you is you can rejoice in the Lord because he's over your circumstance. Often he's the author of your circumstance, highs and lows. But he's not thwarted by your circumstance. The Lord Jesus The Lord Jesus, circumstances, uncontrollable, but joy is controllable. You say, what is joy? Joy is an internal disposition of upbeat prospect because of who's in there with you. 16 times in this book, he talks about joy. Most times he's commanding it. Rejoice, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And this is somebody who has known what it's like to not have circumstances you would think that would make you rejoice. I don't know what you're going through here today. But rejoice if you're in the Lord. Rejoice if you're in the Lord because your Lord is in whatever you're in with you. And it's a promise. And it's a promise that we have to pray, God, help me to experience it. But it's a theological truth that is learned. So our circumstances are uncontrollable. But now look, there's a secret that is learnable. Look at verse 11. So he goes on and says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever circumstance I'm in to be content. I have learned in whatever circumstance I'm in to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Look at this. I want to bring your attention to three words in this little passage right here. First is I have learned in the Greek language. Look, only found here and it is basically a term that means i have learned over the course of time i arrived at this over the course of time one of the reasons why we don't like health and wealth name it and claim it is because we would always name and claim everything away that's supposed to be developing us and helping us to learn what he's saying the secret there's secrets that god wants to open our minds to that he's designed it to take a journey and we would Blink the journey away. There was a little game. Well, my my daughter's DS. Some game. I forget what it's called. But there's one move that helps you bypass everything you can't you can't make it through. And it's like a white squirrel or something. And the squirrel just zips to the end. So you bypass everything you having trouble with and you get to the end. The only problem is you can't go further. So you can bypass all the stuff you can't do, but you can't go further. So it makes you go through all the stuff you can't go through. So there's a way to get to the end of that challenge and go no further. And there's a way to go through all the challenges and then continue on. We would bypass everything and go no further. Y'all see Kung Fu Panda 3? So we have kids, you can go to these movies and enjoy them and make it like you're doing fatherly duties. (laughs) Kung Fu Panda 3 said, if you only do the things you can do, you'll always be who you are right now.
He said, I have learned the secret, which is arrived through a journey. Third one, I mean, second one, in whatever circumstance I am to be content. This is a word used by the Stoics, some philosophers. They had this word. Christians didn't use this word. Paul is borrowing this word because it actually is something that they would understand. You know, Stoics, they believe that it's not about your externals. It's about a self-sufficiency on your internal. But Paul's going to tweak what they use. So whenever we use the world stuff, we tweak it. So we use the world stuff, but we always tweak it. We don't just, oh, yeah, what you said. No, no, no. We tweak it when we use it. He says, I have learned to be content, not dependent on things going well on the outside because I have something going on on the inside. Oh, that's what God wants to do. He wants to give us something on the inside. The third thing is, I have learned the secret in verse 12. He says, I have learned the secret. This is a word that means initiated into something that's not just over the counter. You know how it is. If it's over the counter, you think it doesn't work that well. Give me the stuff that's behind the counter, the stuff I have to show ID for. This headache is killing me. He says, I have some things you have to be baptized into, initiated into. It is not just out for you. It is inside of what I have, the journeys, the trials and the trips. So he says, I've learned ups and downs. I've learned how to endure every situation. I know how to abase. I know how to abound. It sounds simple, but isn't it true that people, when things go up, some people actually do better when things are up because they can't handle being down. Some people actually are better when they're down because they can't handle going up. Paul said, I've handled both things because God has taught me through the journey. The Bible says that he comforts us with comfort so that we can comfort people who go through. I don't know what you've gone through, what you've gone through, or you pastors have gone through. But what do you, you want when you guys who haven't been through anything? Who can't sit down with you when you go through something and tell you anything other than, hold on, I've got a manual here somewhere. How to handle poverty. Okay. Page 63. Turn with me, would you? You want somebody who says, I know what it's like to have to try to make a dollar out of 15 cents. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be bad if you knew somebody who says, Anna, I had a good year one time. <laughs> somebody who can handle much. You ought to take a look at how many lottery winners have committed suicide. Some of us, we were better when we had little. And then some of us need God to help us. Nothing wrong with having. Paul says, I know how to do both. I know how to do both. God is using the in-between times to teach us who he is. In Deuteronomy 8, he says, I caused you to go hungry so you learn how to depend on divine resources. My wife is into Fitbits, you know, Fitbits, little watch that encourages you to do stuff while you do stuff so you can like get credit for doing stuff when you wouldn't have been doing it. So ever since she got this watch, I don't care what we're doing. She's stepping. So you're like, hey, so I just want to tell you something. OK, go ahead. Mm -hmm. So I was like, and so where, where you at? She's like, I'm right here. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. She was like, I said, can you give me some water? She said, sure can. In other words, she doesn't waste any moments. She's getting steps in while she's getting me water. She's like, I'll go get the mail because I want to take advantage of all this time and not waste any moment. God says, you know, I'm not wasting anything in your life. I'm building things in you during all this seemingly downtime. Paul says, I know what it's like. I've learned this. I've been initiated into it. Even as the stoke. If you have a type of contentment, we have a type of contentment knowledge. Aesop's fable. If you maybe you've heard about it, the dog who had a bone and then he went across a bridge, looked in the pond and saw another dog with a bone and barked at that dog and lost his bone. Well, he was barking at himself, his reflection. And Aesop basically is saying, see, he should have been content with his bone instead of barking at a dog that had a bone, that he'd still have a bone. So our world knows about contentment and discontentment. This is talking about something you have to be in the Lord for. This is something that you have to walk with him 
This is something you must be initiated into. Now, we don't have time to go into all the things, but if you're a believer, one of the things you need to understand is God has initiated these days, the days of beginning, and that we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. He's the author of both. Praise God for people who are around for the whole thing. Some people hop from high point to high point. Blossomed church to blossomed church. Rich folk to rich folk. Friends that have to friends that have. They're never around for the ebb and flow. Paul says, I've learned the secret. And the only way you get this is by keeping with the Lord Jesus who leads his people both to the mountaintops and through the valleys. Through the valleys. Controllable. Uncontrollable circumstances, a secret that's learnable, a learnable secret because of a strength that's available, a strength that's available. Look at verse 13. So now he gets to our favorite verse. I can do all things through Christ. So let's just read from 12 all the way into 13. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him. So you see why this is not I can achieve whatever I conjure up. But this is I can endure the polar extremes of life. I can endure when I sell a copy or when I go platinum. I can endure when I got the Vegas show and when nobody's coming to see me. I can endure when we have a high tax bracket and when we get earned income credit because we don't have enough. I know what it's like when Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, or Donald Trump is in office. Some of y'all looking at me funny. You never know. It could happen. Will you be stable in all scenarios? Paul says, I can. Why? Because of something that God does in me. Now, this is where the Stoics didn't have it. They thought it was because there's just strength in them. Paul says, no, the reason why I can take the Stoic word is because it's not based on the externals. It's based on self. But it's not myself. It's the self that's being empowered by the one who's in me. The Christian has an internal power source. We always laugh. Remember the days when you had to change your battery in your phones and now the battery's just in your phone, right? One day we'll be glad when we won't need charging, right? Right? But we look, he says, there are people who have something in them that's not of their own, but it's very, very essential. He says, it's a strength through Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I just recently buried my grandmother. I didn't, but, you know, we did. But I got a chance to sit with her in her dying days. And where did did I sit? I sat in the hospital. And, of course, what was happening with her? She was hooked up to all kinds of tubes. They said, yeah, this is to clean her bowels, and this is to be able to help her because her kidneys don't work, and this is to breathe for her, and this is because she's having a hard time taking. And before you know she was hooked up to all these gadgets. They said, oh, yeah, she's not strong enough to do any of this. The only reason why she's still kicking is because she's hooked up to things that have the strength executives and have. Oh, the Bible says, how in the world can you go from being the executive to being in unemployment? How in the world can you go from being a number one athlete to being in the hospital saying, what's wrong with me, doc? He says, because, not because of you, but because you're hooked up to something. There is a Christ who pumps strength into us. I don't know all the all the ins and outs of how Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, pumped strength into us. But when you look back, you say, it wasn't me. I know that. When we think about people who commit suicide somewhere along the line, they said, it's only up to me. I don't have it anymore. Blah. Why don't we check out? Because there's something keeping us going. For some people, it's just the hope that it'll change. But when you run out of that, if you don't have another strength pumping in you, it's over. Jesus says he pumps strength in us. Every time we think about the Lance Armstrong or Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa, Marion Jones, the athlete, they're forever 
known for what they achieved. And then the day we found out it wasn't them. It was a strength that was in them. Glory to the strength in them, not glory to their strength. Oh, we don't mind people knowing that it's not us. It's the strength. It's Christ Jesus who has a strength that's in me, in me. Not only does I believe that the Lord Jesus infuses strength in us, but satisfaction. Oh, you know, you don't just need brute muscle. You need contentment, satisfaction. The Lord Jesus in John chapter 4 met a woman, and he exposed that she wasn't satisfied. She had five men, and the one that she was with wasn't her own. So, again, it ain't working for you. He's like, but he, he exposed that to show you, you're not satisfied. Whatever her, maybe she, she must have been a dime piece because she got five men and another one to boot. So she was probably a dime piece. She water. Well, getting water, so she wasn't a slouch. She wasn't home watching soap. She was like, I got to go get some water. At the time she had to get water, it was during the time where people who were scandalous went so that they wouldn't be scandalized. So she went at the peak of the day. So she was basically a go-getter even at the peak of the day. So we're talking about a go-getter who looks good, who could get a man at the drop of a dime, who could use what she had to get what she wanted. <laughs> and Jesus says, and you just keep getting, and you keep getting. You know why? Because you're not satisfied. So he says, let me just leverage this teachable moment. You know how water is. Water is meant to quench you, to satisfy you. He says, you come here, you're going to come again. Just like you get this man, you're going to get another one. You get this woman, you're going to get another one. You need this kind of job, and you're going to get another one. He says, but whoever comes to me, I'll give them a water, and they won't have to come back to the well. What he meant is, I'll, he says, because in them will come living water. In other words, I'm going to put it in you so you don't have to make a journey to get it. You don't have to look outside to get it because I put it in you. Oh. This may sound like foreign talk to you all, but if you're walking with Jesus, you know there are times when you used to search for it out there, but now just being with him, it's there. You can't even explain it. It's just there. It's I don't know why I'm satisfied. It's not because I have anything. I'm satisfied. I, I don't know how. I'm satisfied. You know, the great question for everyone is how, for the African-American slave, how in the world did so many African-Americans enslaved by an oppressor who represented Jesus accepted the same Jesus? No one can figure out why a slave would want the God of their slave owner. And that's because Jesus is miraculous. He can pump satisfaction in you in the craziest of circumstances. That he would get our hearts in spite of the fact that he's been misrepresented. Jesus says, I'm a Christ. I get in you and I pump strength and I pump satisfaction. He can satisfy you. Not without a journey, though. Not without baptizing you into his knowledge and over the counter. You're not going to get it on the block. You're not going to get it just at the water cooler at work. You're not going to Google it. This is a secret knowledge that only Christ gives those who walk with him. Walk with him through the wilderness. Walk with him up the mountain. Walk with him down the mountain. Walk with him in the storm. Walk with him through the storm. Walk with him in sickness. Walk with him in health. Walk with him in much Walk with him in little. You and I must walk with him. And so, if that's you today, if you're here, if you're here, if you're part of this church, remain. Remain regardless. If you don't have much today, Stand firm. If you're going through a battling, a sickness, or a bad relationship, a bad marriage, rejoice in the Lord and again rejoice. And let the Lord Jesus know you don't have the strength, but you're depending on him to keep you faithful even in the midst of the up and the down. I'm going to close like this. There's a man by the name of Horatio Spafford who wrote a powerful song to this day. It's called, It Is Well With My Soul. First, he lost his first son at the age of two. His son was two. His son died. 
Then in 1871, there was a great fire and it took his business and it basically wrecked his business. And then the whole economy of Chicago at that time took a dip. So the rest of his businesses went bad. And so what he did was he says, we better go look for some more help somewhere. So he sent his family off on the Atlantic, across the Atlantic. And he says, I'll meet you there. Well, the vibe and he lost four kids, four other daughters. His wife did survive and she sent them a no a telegram saying only me survived so he lost his son at two lost four daughters and it was after that that he penned these great words when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot god has taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul it is well with my soul He said, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate. It is well, it is well with my soul. I said that wrong. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. I don't know about you. But is that your hope today? Is it your hope that Christ has regarded how helpless you are? He shed his blood for souls. And we pray that you will turn to the Christ who shed his blood for souls so that regardless of what happens, he will say, you will be able to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Father, we need to be strengthened. We need to be satisfied. This life will throw us a curve. Someone will slip us a mickey. We can't control what may come down the pipe. But you are faithful, you are fixed, you are not fickle. And we pray that you will sustain us by pumping in us not only strength, but satisfaction. The world can't get no satisfaction, but you're a satisfying God. We entrust ourselves to you. If there's anyone in here going through anything extreme, God, lure them to yourself, since only in you can a person say, I have learned the secret. The secret of how to take the up and the down and still rejoice in the Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.